Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The Universal Flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. formula is an all-natural OTC wound care formula developed for bed sores and other chronic wounds. The healing formula was invented by a home care nurse and is 100% guaranteed. Please visit our website at www.healingformula.com or call us at 800-357-2944. That's 800-357-2944. Good day and welcome to A Call to Consciousness with author and host Brian McClure. Brian and his guests share their personal stories to empower you in knowing that you too are the difference makers in our world. Now, here's your host, Brian McClure. Oh, I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world at one. Hello, this is your host, Brian McClure, and welcome to A Call to Consciousness. This show is brought to you by the Universal Flag and Symbol. The universal flag and symbol acts as a signpost that reminds us of the simple truths that are common to all of us. We are one with all. We are divine presence. We are truth. We are eternal. And we are interdependent on all. The opportunity to spread the truth of our oneness rests with us. For more information or to make a donation to the Universal Flag Foundation's 501c3, please visit the website at www.universalflag.org. Well, we find ourselves in a unique position here. We were supposed to have Neil Donald Walsh on the show tonight, and as the universe sometimes does, <laughs> plays tricks on us, Neil is not available right now, and so we're going to change the theme of our show. We're going to make this a talk show tonight. I want to give you all the uh, call-in number. It's 877-520-1150. Again, it's 877-520-1150. We might as well talk about you know, some of the questions that I had for Neil tonight. We'll find out what you have to say on A Call to Consciousness. I wanted, I wanted to ask Neil a couple questions that are typical to a lot of us. 
say one that I was going to ask him, it was about a, a tripping point that many of us experience in life. We take a job or we have a relationship, we marry someone, and our approach into that relationship, whatever it may be, is what can this relationship do for me? As opposed to what can it do for the other person or for others? And I know for myself, many times I've, I've gotten into that tripping point where I do something and my intention is that uh, I'll do this and then that will give me that. And whether it's that I want something or I have a desire or I need something and I feel that there's a quick stepping stone to get to that place. And many times that ends in some type of uh, failure. I don't know if, if we could really call it failure as much as a, an a, uh, opportunity to observe chaos. As opposed to going into a relationship or going into a job and taking an approach of what can I do for this other person? What can I do to add to the benefit of this person's life? What can I do to add to this company or this job? Which tends to allow things to flow much smoother and uh, it allows us to embrace uh, uh, what we're doing and have the synchronicities of the world open up to us. And so that's, that's my first question for any of you listeners out there. What do you think about that tripping point? How has it worked in your life? And what do you think it is that we can do to maybe uh, avoid that? Our call-in number is 877-520-1150. Another one of the questions that I'd like to get to uh, later on in the show is... Do you think that our world is getting smaller? You know, here in the United States, we're faced with many, many problems right now. Uh, we're faced with uh, an economy that is very questionable. We're faced with jobs that are uh, collapsing in each new day. Today, I opened up the paper. I saw that AT&T was laying off thousands of people. AT&T certainly is one of the large phone providers and service providers in the United States. And... With that uncertainty, it tends to take our focus away from the more global vision that some people have. You know, we've talked on this show about a number of global visions. Is our world becoming smaller or does it become much larger as we have problems at home? Here in the United States, it's hard when you don't have a job or when you've just lost your job and the people that I read about in the paper today that are struggling in each new day to try to find a new job or to put meat and potatoes on the table to have food to eat when they're used to working but because of the uh, times that we're in, the economic times. Hey, Tom Hartman here. The holiday season... <laughs> well, Tom Hartman just joined us. I'm not exactly certain who that is. <laughs> But he wasn't a caller. Anyway, give us a call at 877-520-1150. And uh, we'll talk about some of these questions. Right now, we're going to go to a quick commercial, and I'm going to find out what's going on with, uh, with uh, our guests. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with a call to consciousness. <laughs> Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. 
the entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The universal flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag Companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. The Healing Formula is an all-natural OTC wound care formula developed for bed sores and other chronic wounds. The Healing Formula was invented by a home care nurse and is 100% guaranteed. Please visit our website at www.healingformula.com or call us at 800-357-2944. That's 800-357-2944. And you're back on a call to consciousness. So before that break that we took that was unexpected, I asked you to uh, give us a call in and talk about, let me know what you think some of the typical tripping points are that maybe you've experienced in your life or what we can do to maybe help change some of those tripping points. That is to focus on a relationship or a job or something with the approach of what can it do for me as opposed to what can it do for the other person. I think a lot of times we get caught up in maybe looking in the wrong direction, and that causes uh, obstacles to occur in our life. It may cause that uh, voice in our head that comes in with a thousand thoughts to repeat itself again and again and again. And the second opportunity I had for you is to weigh in on, do you think our world is getting smaller? And uh, I ask you that because... You know, there's a number of time, there are a number of times, a number of articles, a number of people who are taking a look globally, yet when our economy is being crushed, does that cause us to maybe sit back and take a much closer look at our world? And we have Washali on line one, so we're going to get Washali on the line. Hey, Brian, how are you, sweetheart? How are you, my dear? Thank you for calling in. Well, you know, sweetie, I'm a big fan of your work, and I'm a big fan of the universal flag. And I love this question that you're proposing. And, and I wanted to kind of turn the tables on you for a moment and, and ask you, because I know you just made this, this big trip to Africa, and, and ask you, what did this do as 
far as your worldview, are there ways that your world got smaller and they got and ways it got bigger? Because um, I know that those of us who are big fans of your show who love listening to you would like to hear more about your trip to Africa and how that changed how your perspective about participating in global communities and and if it, it changed how you experience your personal life. Well, you know what? That's a that's a great question. My world got a lot smaller when I traveled a great distance away because uh, it really tied in, you know, into all of my belief system about that interconnection and that oneness that we all have. I recognized that uh, while people suffer in other areas of our world, that they wait for us to come and to not really give them a handout, but to give them a hand up to share the information and the knowledge that we have with them to help them to live better lives. But at the same time, you know, sitting and watching all of the things that are reported on the news and in the newspapers and on television, I recognize that here in our country, we have a very difficult time getting outside of our box, out of our our uh, corners of, of, of this United States because we focus on so many fear-based things. Yes. And in other countries where, where I've been, what I've noticed is there really is a lack of that information going around in each new day. There's a lack of advertising. There's a lack of communication because there's a lack of, there are language barriers actually every 10 10 kilometers, you run into a different language. And so there are a number of people who can't communicate. There's a number of changes in the road systems. You know, they, you don't have the ability to drive from one place to the next or even to walk from one place to the next. And so to them, you know, I wondered for them too, does, does this create a, a, a smaller world for them or a larger world, a view of a larger world, someone else coming in from the outside? Um, and I know that most people can't get that opportunity or don't get that opportunity to travel to different places. Yet, what I see happening with Madonna's new documentary and uh, uh, Greg Carr's work that he's doing in Mozambique and, and John Paul DeJorian and so many people that are doing international works and, and really starting to document that with the Internet making our world much more visible... You know, I have the feeling that even for those of us in the United States who want to take a look, our world is getting smaller. How do you feel about that? You know, this, the, the thing that I find the most interesting is you're talking about the way that mass communication is related to and it's handled. And the thing that uh, that really sticks with me is you're talking about there's not such a proliferation of this constant environment of fear-based thoughts. And uh, you know from my book, You Are What You Love, and from my radio show on this station on Sundays from 11 to 12, this whole idea of looking at what what you're giving your attention to, and is it taking you to a fear-based place? And whether it comes to a commercial that they're trying to sell me about tampons, or whether it's about some spiritual teacher, if they're giving me a message that's got a fear feeling in it that takes me to a fear-based place, my personal inner 
compass tells me that there's nothing in it for me to listen to, and I simply won't give my attention to any message that I find laced with fear, because as far as I'm concerned, it's not worthy of my attention, because our attention is our divinity. And what I love about your sharing is you're talking about this importance of understanding that our attention is our divinity. So how we give our attention, the quality of how we give our attention, the quality of our communication, the quality of our perspective. Is it understanding? Is it patient? Is it compassionate? Or is there an agenda? Do I want something from you? Do I want to manipulate you? That how we give and share and take our divinity amongst each other in our relationship is incredibly important as to whether we have a successful personal life, a successful community, a successful global network. And there's interesting things. It's paradoxical today, it seems. There are ways in which... My world gets very, very small uh, when I'm writing because, as you know, writing is a, uh, a very introspective thing that requires you getting in touch with what your feelings are and what your voice is. But I find that when I step out of my office, when I step out of the radio station, when I go out and I do teaching, um, I've got a Joshua Tree event that's coming up in February where I'll be teaching for three days on You Are What You Love, that that is soon as I start interacting with other people about examining what are you giving your attention to, what is your quality of love, then I find that my world gets very, very large and very inclusive of other people. But I think what's really essentially here, what you're talking about, is really acknowledging that we live in this Petri dish where fear du jour is served up on every network, on every station, on every news broadcast, and we really need to take accountability for being judicious and more discerning with our attention. And if we don't want to contribute to a fear-based community, we don't want to com contribute to a fear-based voice and to a fear-based media, we've got to stop giving things that are fear-based and toxic, emotionally toxic, we've got to stop giving it our attention and relying on it as if our whole world were going to fall apart if we don't get our latest fear injection. <laughs> you know, Shali, and we need to balance that with a problem that, say, Africa has. We have, we have literally millions and millions of AIDS throughout every country in Africa, AIDS victims. We have orphans, millions of orphans. And, you know, we have... Uh, a, a life-threatening disease that uh, mm. is is taking so many lives, and there is an inability to communicate that message because we have functionally illiterate people. And so, you know, I sit here looking at the computer system, and I recognize that we can communicate these thoughts of uh, absolute truth. You are what you love, and you love what you're giving your attention to. How do we communicate that to people and help them to change the pattern of their lives when they don't have the communication systems? And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I thought, and I talked with uh, Michael Langevin, the social worker that went with me, about maybe putting on some type of uh, a play like they used to that really is in the language of the people that travels, a minstrel show, if you will, that travels from village to village, giving a message that can really uh, allow them to enjoy entertainment, but at the same time 
teach them the way that we used to teach through folklore? And, you know, those are some of the, the questions that are inside of me that I really don't, I really don't know how to answer. I think that's a, a terrifically valuable thing to explore, and I love the, the methodology that you're proposing because it is time-honored. And this, there is a receptivity within people's nervous system for taking in information this way and for them to process information, and it, it brings that, that personal uh, touch to it. And you're right, the the... The suffering from AIDS and just the sheer number of children that are being orphaned because both of their parents are dying from this catastrophic disease. It's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And for this country, it is absolutely an overwhelming problem that does really require a global response. It does really require a global solution. It absolutely it, does. It, without, without, if, if any one of us could imagine 10 to 20% of our population as orphans, what would we do? And the thing about the orphans around the world is that there are no orphanage, orphanage homes. There are very few. And when you do have them, they have 100 children while there's a million out on the street. Oh, my Lord, how heartbreaking. You know, you've, you've got a lot of people who really value your work, and you've got a very intelligent listening community. So why don't we propose for the listening audience that if they're listening to this and they're brainstorming or they're shouting out what they, at, their, at their radio what they think would be a viable and creative solution, for them to email you and to contact you, they can, they can, uh, they're welcome to email me, V, at Purple. V and and I will always, uh, of course, share that information. But Brian, if there are people can, who are listening to you, sure, right you can now, email me at yeah, Brian like, at universalflag.com. Brian at universalflag.com, and and uh, or you can you can call in at eight seven seven five two zero eleven fifty and chat with us about about these real issues that are taking place. I mean, it's it's interesting how we find ourselves in our economy right now, Washali, where we have a number of jobs that are leaving and a number of people for the first time in their lives not being able to work, not being able to support their families or pay the mortgage, put food on the table. And this is something that happens in half of our world every single day. Absolutely. The thing is, is that it happens for the other half of the world in numbers that are so staggering that it would be completely overwhelming to actually understand that. And that was one of the things that happened to both Michael and I when we were there. We were overwhelmed by the numbers of things, and so we had to start breaking things down into very small steps of what could be done. And, you know, those small steps always uh, start with somebody placing their attention on somebody else or another situation a long distance from where we are. And there are many, many opportunities. There are many groups who do great work that are helping change our world. You know, one of the things that I noticed with Shali is that a number of the groups that are doing great work are not combined with each other. They are individual groups. They act much like we act out our lives, as if we are individuals. And you know, those, that's one of the paradigms that, you know, 
How do you see that paradigm changing? Where do you think that we are with our understanding of our interconnection, of our oneness, or of our separation, which is something that we've lived with for uh, many, many, many years? That's a, a, a really critically pivotal point that really all of spirituality revolves around is the idea that the biggest disease that we suffer from is a disease of duality, the notion that we are separate and that we appear to realize that we are all interconnected by divine love and wisdom. We don't have divine love and wisdom. We are it. And that is what we, what keeps us, what binds us as one unified life, that there is one life, there is one happiness, and we are simply all sharing it. There aren't separate lives. There aren't separate present moments. There aren't separate happinesses. There's one, and we all collectively share it. And the more that that begets, becomes realized, the more there will be an embracing of it. But this is the timeless question, the crux that all of spirituality revolves around, is realizing that in your everyday life, the biggest disease that's causing your personal problems and the global problems is the disease of duality, is seeing and experiencing other people as separate from yourself. And this is what's most challenging in our everyday life to remember. And what I love about your talking about your recent trip here is you're taking in the whole global picture that the state of the economy and, and scarcity of jobs and, and people struggling to sustain um, uh, a healthy life for their family is a global problem. It's not just an American problem. It's a global problem, and, and the planet as a whole has been struggling with it to a greater intense, intense, much more intense degree than we have. And when you start seeing that, you begin to lighten up with your own personal mortgaging of your life through your fear stories and start realizing there's a lot in your life you do have to be grateful for. There's a lot in your life that you do look at in a more positive way. And when people begin to reach out and realize that we're all interconnected, realize that we are all sharing this one life and this one present moment and this one happiness, that's when there's going to be a huge stemming of the tide. And I know that this is something that is the hope and the promise of 2012. I know there's a lot of doomsayers that have a lot of fear things to say about 2012, but it seems to me that's really when we're talking about a new consciousness that's emerging, that 2012 is talking about this awareness that we are all one interconnected life, that we do share that same one life. And as long as there is one group of people on the planet suffering from a diminished quality of life, we all do because there's only one life out there and we are universally sharing it. Does that make sense? That makes a whole lot of sense, and that's actually exactly what it is that will help us to change the focus is to maybe break things down a little bit and start to take a look at the energy that creates everything. You know, uh, as we've had different guests on the show, and we found out, uh, it's, it's interesting to me, some guests, you know, have said that I believe that the development of all religion and of, all, of God is water. And you start thinking about water. There's nothing that water is not a part of. Other people, you know, recognize that without the sun or without uh, any one of the 
billions of gifts that we have on our earth, nothing else survives. We are so totally interdependent. And I think that maybe we, we really haven't taken a good look at some of the things that we're talking about, maybe about a global issue in a mainstream way, because mainstream is filled, as we've talked about, with nothing but fear in each new day. And I don't think it's fearful to take a look at the world and say, you know what, we have some problems with uh, global food, with global water, with global sanitation, with global AIDS problems, with our world, with uh, uh, you know, the uh, conditions that we have with global warming. All of those things really aren't fear-based as much as factual information. And every one of us has an opportunity to respond to whatever area that we feel connected to. We can place our attention on that. And by doing that, we can help to make the changes because collectively, we all create our world. And I think maybe that's one of the things that overwhelms people is that they think, well, I can't do this and I can't do that, and we end up not doing anything. You know, I um, I have a, a friend of mine, uh, Melon Thomas Benedict, and uh, this is the guy, his story appears at the end of Chapter 8 in my book, You Are What You Love. This is a guy that died for over two hours and then came back. And uh, he had a most amazing NDE, near-death experience, and he said that he saw hundreds of years into the future, and it's actually very inspirational, and it's very positive. But one of the things that we were talking about, he was on my show recently, we were talking about is what he calls the pajama revolution. And he says that it's time that we created the pajama revolution. And he said it starts with something that everybody has in their house, and that's your phone book. And he says because in the phone book has got all of the um, departments uh, in within the government that are both local, state, and federal, and it has all the contact information. <laughs> and he says that it's, it's time that we really stopped – behaving like children, and that we became more vocal and more active and constantly contacted these people by emailing, by faxing, and saying, we're not happy with how this is being handled. The the money has got to be spent more intelligently. We're not going to tolerate a lot of the graft. We're not going to tolerate the way that things are handled. You have to be accountable. We're holding you accountable. We want to see more positive changes and, and list how you would like to see things um, handled in a more responsible and more compassionate and more um, effective manner. And he says, if you just sat at home and did that in your pajamas with your phone book, if we all ended up doing that, we would create what he calls the pajama revolution. <laughs> and um, I think you would... Uh, I'll have to connect you with Melon Thomas, sweetheart. I think you would really enjoy him. I'd enjoy Melon. I've enjoyed listening to his shows. Well, Shelley, I cannot thank you enough for calling in and uh, and chatting with me about these questions. Neil has, I just found out that Neil has joined us on our show. And so, sweetheart. Have a great show. Love you. Be well. Thank you, Wishali. You know what? And bye-bye. I'll see you soon. Uh, you know what? I did not get to introduce Neil, so I will very briefly here. Today, we are very pleased to have Neil Donald Walsh as our guest. He is a modern-day spiritual messenger whose words continue to touch our world in profound ways. 
With an early interest in religion and a deeply felt connection to spirituality, Neil spent the majority of his life, like many of us, thriving professionally, yet searching for spiritual meaning. Neil also, like many of us, has had a number of difficult life experiences before coming to that place of oneness and connection which opened the door for his now famous Conversation with God book series. The Conversation with God series has been translated into 34 languages, touching millions and millions of lives and inspiring important changes in our world. Ever since Conversations with God book series came out in 96, Neil has been on the New York Times bestsellers list. In addition to authoring the renowned series, Neil has published 16 other works as well as a number of videos and audio programs. Since his awakening, he has worked tirelessly not only writing books, blogs, speaking, teaching, acting, developing programs, retreats, and support communities. He has also traveled worldwide, helping others to reawaken to the divinity within all of us. Neil's work has helped us remember the oneness of all. It's helped us to see God in everyone and everything. And it's helped us, helped us focus on the one reason everyone and everything exists, to be in service to others. His nonprofit foundation is dedicated to inspiring the world to help move from violence to peace, from confusion to clarity, and from anger to love. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much. It was a very, very way too long introduction, but I appreciate all those kind words. Thank you. I know, but you've done so much. I just wanted to get some of those things out just to allow people to know, those who don't know what you are or who, what you've done and who you are. Well, that's very, that's very kind of you. I, I don't think that any of us is and what we've done. However, it occurs to me that uh, all that stuff is back over my left shoulder and has nothing to do with this moment right here, right now. That's absolutely true. So what's going on in this moment right here and right now, Neil? Well, I think that uh, your comment with your prior guest uh, is very important. Uh, what's going on right here, right now, is that our world is uh, in a heap of trouble uh, in many ways. I agree with you that it is not fearful to observe that. It is careful. It is full of care. It is not full of fear. If we didn't care, we wouldn't even observe it. We would, in fact, look the other way and probably not even notice it. It is our caring, first for ourselves and then for those we love and then for uh, all of our other fellow travelers on the earth and, in a larger way, for life itself, that we, that we demonstrate that caring by looking both ways when we cross the street and, for that matter, by looking at the world as it is and seeing what it is that could be beneficial for us to alter, change, or fix. So I agree mm -hmm. with you that it is not a, not a fearful thing. Uh, and I, I, I grow just a tiny bit impatient with some of the so-called new thought or new age uh, people who, uh, who even bring up the slightest uh, event or occurrence in the world that is not of the highest vibration, will look at you and say, are, are, you, are you wanting to create more of that? <laughs> You know, why do you, why do you even, don't even pay attention, don't even talk about that. So you're not, you're not allowed to, you know, not allowed to notice that the emperor is wearing no clothes. <laughs> I agree with you 100%, and I've, I've, I've observed that. Um, you know, one of the, one of the eye-opening things that happened to me was to, after, after talking about it, and they say that we, we teach the things that we need to learn, and so I started learning about global issues, and as we talked about it on this show, I decided it was time to go see them, and when I saw them, I recognized that uh, mainstream people 
typically are not given this information in mainstream news. We just don't focus on the world. I found that Europe was much more aware of what was going on than we were. I agree with you. Why do you think that happens here, Neil? Well, I think that we live in a culture that is remarkably different from Europe's. First of all, uh, in in global terms, in universal terms, it's a much younger culture. True, our our uh, our, our country is is just over 200 years or so old, uh, about 230 or 40 years old now at this point. But uh, when you go to Europe, you see buildings that have been there for five or six or 800 years, you know, many many centuries. In fact, a couple of thousand years in some cases. <laughs> So um, uh, other parts, of, we notice that even now, uh, other parts of the world have been around a very, very, very long time, quantumly longer than we have. And so I think that we are in the United States and here in this portion of the Western Hemisphere, for that matter, uh, still uh, in the in the uh, cosmic sense, a, an emerging culture. And like all emerging cultures in the adolescence of our development, uh, we are rather short-sighted. And we don't have that long-range view of things that someone in Stockholm, for instance, might have, or, or that uh, the folks elsewhere, in China, for that matter, and elsewhere, have a long, very, very, very long-range view of things that allow them to apply that long-range view to their short-term, present-moment experience, mm -hmm. thus to enhance that experience and to enrich it. Uh, and they don't tend to uh, gloss over uh, things quite as well. Relatively uh, easily as we do, and and they don't t tend to minimize things, and their expectations are entirely different as well. It's interesting you should mention about Europe. I just came back from over two and a half months in Europe. I was uh, had the had the privilege of going all over the place there to mm -hmm. carry the conversations with God message, and I too noticed the exact same thing that the thinking of people is remarkably, remarkably different. For instance, just I don't want to get too much into American politics, but just to mm -hmm. use it as, an, as an example, there was there was no country uh, in the in the entire uh, uh, trip that I went to in Europe, and I went to about 14 countries, where the vast majority of people did not clearly favor Barack Obama for president of the United States. I found the same thing in Africa, yeah, in, in every country I went to. That's right. In, in, in France, the, the, the polls showed him 95%, 85% in Copenhagen, and, and that way all around. There were only about six countries in the world out of the several hundred nations that there are in the world that, uh, that favored um, uh, Senator McCain. This has nothing to do with Senator McCain as a person, but it, became, it was so patently obvious to people everywhere on the planet that this kind of a change was desperately needed if this country was going to mature and move out of its adolescence and into its early adulthood. And I think that uh, we have shown that, that. I think we redeemed ourselves uh, with the election of Mr. Obama mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and with the direction in which I hope the country is now going to move in the days and weeks and times ahead. How did you find the children in Europe and, and in the other countries that you've been to? How do you find them compared to our children from a forward-thinking position? Well, first of all, they're far less spoiled. They're, they're, they're far, from my observation, they're far less demanding, if you please, if I could use that word. Absolutely. Um, they're they're um, far more, how to, how to put this, cultured and um, uh, 
and uh, I, I might even say uh, connected with with life itself. They're, they're, they're not nearly as disaffected. Of course, you find disaffected youth everywhere, but not quite on the scale uh, as I see sometimes in Los Angeles or uh, in uh, some of our major cities. Nor do I see the kinds of, gosh, um, extraordinarily um, hmm, terse and tense point of view that I also observe in young people uh, not on the coastlines of this country, not in New York or Los Angeles or Miami or San Diego, but in Omaha and in Iowa uh, and in the uh, great central uh, plain states of this country Mm -hmm. where we see um, kind of a youthful, almost cynical conservatism uh, that rejects anything, any any notion at all of uh, liberalism, to the point where compassion starts to be eliminated from the experience of our young people. In Europe, I see just the opposite. I, I see, again, I'm, I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush, mm-hmm. but, but with the, the children and the young people in Europe, I see, uh, generally speaking, a far more compassionate, far more sophisticated, far more highly articulate uh, youth who is uh, deeply connected with life uh, and understands a great deal more about the process that we're undergoing right now than most uh, of the young people in America that I see. Would would you say that that maybe is, is as a result of the 60 years of consumerism that we've gone through that, you know, today... I I at least feel that we have a number of children that that have an entitlement mentality. That's what I, I call it. I think you're exactly that they're right. simply entitled to. And people, when they come into work today, they want to start at the top. They want you to give them everything, and they want to take right on over. I I, I I I think that you're right, and most of what you've said. And I'm not I'm not um, sure I agree with that last final sentence. I'm not sure that young people expect to start at the very top, but I do think that they. Uh, do have a sense of entitlement for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, my dad used to call that walking around with a chip on your shoulder, uh, and I, I do see that. Um, in, and uh, you know, and in a way, you know, you can't blame them because we 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 have lived in this highly uh, consumeristic society for the past fifty or sixty years. Things have been really very good, very good in this country for a very long time. Young people, you know, have cars when they're sixteen, and you know, mm-hmm. think nothing of. And I want to know why they can't, in fact, have a $365 iPhone, you know, tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and and all the, all the latest trinkets and, and, and so forth. And, and I, I think that that definitely, definitely has something to do with we, you know, and that's why I'm not so discouraged about this so-called financial meltdown. What I'm seeing here is a retrenchment, a reorganization, a reorientation uh, of our families toward uh, a different set of values. I had a gentleman talk to me just the other day. He said, you know, wow, we're really belt tightening in my house. We're not eating out anymore. We're not going to the movies or the bowling alley. We're sitting around the house. The whole family's kind of <laughs> hanging out together. And the other day, we actually took out some board games and began playing board games with the family. And it was the first time we'd done that in about two and a half or three years. And he said, it was actually fun to sit down. And my wife and I realized we hadn't been with our children in that particular uh, high-quality way for a very long time. So I think that what's happening is that we're beginning to decide uh, that is humanity as a whole, is all, all over the world, uh, beginning to decide that the, the direction in which we have been going is, in fact, not getting us where we say we wish to be ultimately. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because of the great advances we've had, because of air conditioning, because of the comforts that we have in our home, we don't do the same things that we used to do. Uh, you and I never grew up with air conditioning, and so we were outside most of the time because it was a hell of a heck of a lot cooler outside under a tree than it was in the house. And there was more to do out there. We didn't sit you know, for 8, 10, 12 hours a day in front of a tiny screen moving a mouse around uh, or you know, trying to beat some kind of video game uh, and wearing our thumbs out on some kind of a gadget you hold in your hand. We were outside in the backyard climbing fences and, and, and hitting baseballs and running around the block and, and building forts and having clubhouses uh, up in the tree with our friends and, 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 and associating and, and experiencing life tactily, not simply as a process of mental and visual stimulation. You know, Neil, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, one of the things I wanted to maybe uh, allow others to hear, uh, there, there are a lot of people who have fear about uh, becoming conscious or remembering a oneness of all or, or of uh, uh, viewing the world as you do, that you know God is part of everyone and everything. They feel that if I'm in that position, gosh, then I'm going to actually have to do something. And one of the things I've I've observed about you is that you've never stopped doing things. Tell us about the joy of what you do in in the programs that you work and the traveling that you do, even though that's that's a difficult thing. Well, you know, if I could just back up just a little bit. I'm not certain that uh, the largest number of people are fearful of embracing the notion that we are all one with God and we are all responsible for the creation of our joint and collective as well as our individual realities and all that. I don't think that people are fearful of embracing such a notion because then they would have to do something. Uh, I, that That is not something that I observe in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in fact, I observe quite the opposite. I observe that people have a frustration that they really would like to do something, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. it they, they don't know uh, anything at all about uh, the tools that they have at their disposal. They don't understand the, the, the purpose of doing anything in any event, much less the larger purpose of all of life. So what I have, uh, and they don't understand who they who they really are. That is, most people are living a life of mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. So what what I have uh, done, and it is my great joy. You're absolutely right. It's uh, I feel like a guy walking around with a million dollar gift and giving it away every day, because I have had the gosh, just the great honor and the wonderful joy of sharing with people in groups large and small all over the world uh, the extraordinary truths and the ant- that have been given to me in conversations with God and the answers to the four basic questions of life. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Questions that most people have not even asked, much less answered, as I observe it, for a whole wide variety of reasons. I don't mean to indict the human race. It's perfectly understandable why they haven't been addressing these questions. I mean, when you're sitting in Darfur and you're simply trying to get through the day until 5 o'clock, uh, it's uh, it's not, not time for sitting on a rock and philosophizing. <laughs> You know, one of the big problems that they have uh, in northern Uganda, just south of Sudan, where people have been displaced for 20 years, is that a number of the uh, the males who used to be the farmers uh, are no longer able to go into the fields because the rebels have been shooting them. They've been killing them. And so the men's roles have reversed. The women have gone into the fields. The men feel less than adequate, and they've become very violent towards women. And... You know, those social issues 
are something that are pertinent as part of their life. It's it's an interesting situation. And personally, I never knew there was a war going on there for 20 years. Uh, just part of the awakening that, that, that I've had in actually being there and observing it. We, we, um, we need to, yes, I, I hear you. And uh, I think that the uh, the, the issue before humankind is um, how can we awaken a sufficiently large number of people on the earth to the fundamental truths of our existence and our experience before we do ourselves in? Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to win this human race? You know, at the same time, everything that ever has happened or ever will happen is happening now possibly on a different stage, and I've heard you talk about that before. Um, is, it, is, it, is it a case where we create exactly what it is that, you know, we need to experience at this time, and, 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 and maybe another part of us is experiencing something else? How do we... I, I agree with you. I, I think that, that is the uh, understanding that I carry into my life as well. And it's rather an esoteric thought. It's a way out there idea for sure. But uh, it can be such an idea rendered practical and functional uh, on the street in day-to-day life with the simple um, application of some basic and fundamental truths. Even if we are um, experiencing all of it uh, at the same time, even if everything that's ever happened is happening now and ever will happen is happening right now, uh, and it's all happening simultaneously on various stages, if you will, in, in the multiple dimensions of the totality of ultimate reality. Even if all of those things are true, it really changes nothing in our moment-to-moment, present-day experience of this particular reality in which we are consciously engaged. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes not how many angels fit on the head of a pin. <laughs> the question becomes, since we are now currently experiencing this particular functioning reality, what, if anything, do we choose to contribute to that reality to alter it in such a way that the reality itself defines who we are, both individually and collectively as a species? That's the fundamental question before the House, and there are not very many um, people on the world stage in leadership positions who are addressing that question, much less answering it. So what is the key to changing our world, Neil, in your opinion? Uh, Education and understand education in the four questions I just asked and and understanding the fundamental foundational truths the the uh, the answer to the world's problems is to shift our cultural story and a major shift in the cultural story which is of course the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves see life is a process that informs life about life through the process of life itself and the cultural story we've been telling ourselves about ourselves for many many millennia now is a story of separation Mm -hmm. A story that has been largely uh, shared with us through human theologies. That is a separation theology which says that uh, we're over here and God is over there. The thing that we call God is uh, is outside of us, way over there, and never the twain shall meet, except perhaps on Judgment Day when we get to either reunite with God or not, as the case may be. That separation theology would be okay as far as it went if it was simply a matter of individual belief. Regrettably, however, even for those who are not believers in God, the separation theology has created a separation cosmology on the earth. That is, a cosmological way of looking at things that says that everything is separate from everything else, that we live in a system of separation, in fact, codependent for sure, but separate nonetheless. 
Such a separation in cosmology has produced a separation in sociology that is a way of socializing with each other that says, I'm over here and you're over there, and our interests are not the same except when they are. When they are, we will work together for our mutual <laughs> best interests. When they're not, I may just have to kill you. <laughs> that's been going on for a long time, and that's why I was awakened for so many years in the middle of the night and told to create the universal flag. Of course, my answer was always no until uh, until finally uh, I got the baseball bat and, and knew that, that that was really what I was, was called to do and, and, and did it. And the symbol simply does represent the oneness of everyone and everything. I mean, probably the first symbol that's ever been created that is inclusive of all and separates nothing, no person, place, religion, thing. It's all connected. It's all one. If we can uh, bring that idea uh, into the cultural story of humanity, which will be a revolutionary idea, I might add, it's a absolutely fundamentally revolutionary idea, the idea that there is no separation of anything from anything else, if we can manage to bring that idea functionally into our governance, into our religions, of course, into our education, into all of our social systems, into our commerce, business, and industry, into all the ways that we have found to be human on the planet, if we can allow that idea of unity rather than separation uh, inform our moment-to-moment -moment behavior so we can change our perspective in such a profound way, then we will solve uh, virtually all of the man-made, human-made problems uh, with which humanity is now confronted. It's our perspective, you see, our perspective that is causing the problem. We're, a perspective creates perception. Perception creates belief. Belief creates behavior, behavior creates experience, and your experience creates your present moment reality. And that reality creates your next perspective. It's a circle, you see, and <laughs> we have to change the, the perspective in the first instance, and then all the other dominoes begin to fall. And interestingly enough, you didn't talk about those indoctrinated beliefs that we're bombarded with from the second that we're born. And, that's, that's uh, part of our cultural story. It is, and and for for me growing up as a Catholic, uh, I was <laughs> I was just inundated with them. Well, and there and there are non theological messages like there's not enough. Or Absolutely. The, or, or the idea of better betterness that some of us are somehow better than others of us for whatever the reasons are that we give to ourselves. So the idea of superiority, the idea of betterness, the idea of, of lack, of insufficiency, all these ideas inform our moment-to-moment -moment human experience. These are the fundamental ideas that we need to shift. In the book, uh, in the book uh, Communion with God, God gave us the Ten Illusions of Humans. And God said, you know what, don't worry about the Ten Commandments. You're not living them anyway, but don't worry about <laughs> it. The, wor the worst part about it is you are actually living the Ten Illusions of Humans. And and, uh, uh, and he gives us those illusions, including several of them are that need exists, the, the idea that somehow we need something uh, in order to survive, that insufficiency exists, that superiority exists, and so on down the line. And the worst illusion of all, that ignorance exists. That is, we live within an illusory idea that, that it is possible for us to be ignorant of all these things, and that, that you know mysterious are the ways of the Lord. Well, they're not mysterious at all. It's just a matter of looking at it directly. But we have fallen down the rabbit hole, and we are listening listening very carefully to the Mad Hatter as he pours <laughs> tea into a cup with no bottom, trying to convince us that what is so is not so, and that what is not so is so. 
Neil, those are great words of wisdom. What I find interesting is that uh, a number of those themes that you talk about in communion with God were given to me in the way of children's books, and so I have books on superiority and what happens, and you know, it's all with inanimate objects, but God talks to all of us each day in billions of messages, billions of ways, and uh, it's, it's for those uh, opportunities that we take to listen that we're able to probably start to grow where we're supposed to grow, you know, together as one. We have about one minute left, and I would love to find out one last thing, Neil. Everyone's been asking me, ask Neil what he would like to accomplish uh, in the next few years. I'd like to change the world's mind about God. I was asked on the Today Show, what is God's message to the world? And I gave it to them in five words, God's message to the world. You've got me all wrong. <laughs> I believe if we could change the world's mind about God, about what God wants, about who we are in relationship to God, about the purpose of life and our true identity, that simple change, it's enormous, but yet it's very simple. That simple shift could alter everything. So what I want, what I want in the next few years, I want to change the world's mind about God. Neil, thanks for the great work that you're doing. Thanks for being our guest. For all you listeners, stay tuned next week for a call to consciousness. Thanks for listening. Season is upon us. Family and friends are going to be dropping by. Are you embarrassed by your old, worn-out furniture? Why not reupholster? New furniture is too expensive. Besides, your old furniture is probably built better and it's better for the environment. Let Riviera reupholster that sofa, chair, or love seat. In fact, they can take any piece of furniture and give it a whole new look with over 10,000 fabrics to choose from. Riviera can also refinish your favorite dining room table or any other wood furniture. Listen to this. Call Riviera today, and you can have your furniture reupholstered, looking brand new in just 10 days. Here's a special offer. Riviera has extended their 70th anniversary sale. The first 70 callers today will get 70% off the labor on upholstery or wood refinishing. Call 1-800-55-COVER. The first 70 callers get 70% off the labor. That's 1-800-55-COVER. 1-800-55-COVER. Call now. 1-800-55-COVER. Men and women, if you've got 10 to 30 pounds or more to lose, please listen carefully. Guys, many of us tend to overeat. We eat too much red meat, fast foods, and processed foods. This keeps the belly flabby and keeps our bodies overweight. Ladies, have you ever said, I feel fat today? Or do you have this bloated feeling? And how many of you have been trying to lose the same 10 to 20 pounds for years? There's a healthy and faster way to lose weight than any diet pill. It's called EverCleanse, a clinically proven weight loss and detox formula that helps you lose weight and get rid of the 5 to 25 pounds of waste that some experts say is trapped to the colon walls like spackle or paste. Two weeks of EverCleanse may be equal to months of dieting. It's simple, too. Natural, tasteless crystals that dissolve in any food or beverage. EverCleanse will flatten out your midsection, reduce love handles, and bellies and bloating have been disappearing in just days. You see, EverCleanse gets rid of the weight you can't take off by exercising or starving yourself on a diet. And it's not something you have to take for the rest of your life. Visit us at EverCleanse.com or call now to receive a very special offer. Call 1-800-434-1137. That's 1-800-434-1137. Call now. 1-800-434-1137. Policies issued by American General Life Insurance Company, Houston. In Texas, not available in all states. For full details, visit matrixdirect.com. Are you willing to pay more for life insurance than you should? Well, did you know prices on term life insurance have fallen to their lowest rates ever? Hi, I'm Brent Langdon from Matrix Direct. We partnered with American General Life Insurance to find you the lowest rates on term life insurance products. So let's say you're 40 years old and married. 
we can find you a quarter of a million dollar policy for less than $15 a month, which means you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Call us now for a free no-obligation quote. Call 1-800-994-9884. Since 1995, we've helped over a million people save money on their term life insurance. Don't you want to know how much we can save you? It only takes five minutes, and you can save up to 75%. And the call is absolutely free. Call 1-800-994-9884. That's 1-800-994-9884. Artificial tree or real tree? Solve this and other Christmas challenges at Holiday Happenings. Play the Redback Tool Snow Globe game. Win Burke Williams gift certificates and a $500 shopping spree courtesy of Farmer John. Just go to ktlkam1150.com, keyword holiday. Tis the season for Holiday Happenings, presented by your Southern California mini dealers. MVP quarterback Brett Favre for Wrangler. I'm comfortable in jeans that are tough. I'm comfortable in Wrangler. Real comfortable. Wrangler five-star premium denim jeans. Comfortable on you. Comfortable on your wallet. Available at Target. Kings Kings. 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 Kings